Bom, 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 bom. Welcome, Bizzlecast listeners, ladies and gentlemen, to the Bizzlecast commentary of Pitch Perfect, the Avengers of Acapella, the Winter Soldier of musicals. This is the one that changed it all. And you might be wondering why I'm doing a Bizzlecast about this, but this is very much a nerd culture. It's just a different part of nerd culture. Uh, but with all the Star Wars and Rocky and Breakfast Club references, it's still uh, very much in that vein. But it is a team-up superhero movie. It's an origin story along the lines of the first Cat movie or the first Iron Man movie or the first Batman movie. And, you know, against all odds... It doesn't quite reach John Hughes' level, even though The Breakfast Club is so central. Uh, but, you know, this is an extremely relatable and fun and just ex- tight as shit uh, presentation, script, casting, cast, crew, the entire thing. Every look is so precious. You can really get something out of every frame in this movie. And at an hour and 40 minutes, at most, being generous... It, it it's just you know cut after cut after cut you almost want it to slow down but that's what makes it so great and addictive this is glee on steroids um and crystal meth um and uh it's you know it's a movie that someone like me who loves music wasn't into the whole glee thing but just get behind it because the characters are so great obviously anna kendrick as the lead kills it and actually plays a very different version of anna kendrick i mean she's still got the coldness and the uptightness for sure um but her sort of alt badass you know uh shoot from the hip uh approach is much different than her roles in like 50 50 and into the air um and so forth up in the air excuse me which i say in uh, and this will be a few notes, and I'm going to jump right into it. I, I say in the commentary I haven't seen Up in the Air, but in fact, since I recorded this a week or two ago, I watched Up in the Air with George Clooney and Vera Farmiga and Anna Kendrick with a super support role that was nominated for an Oscar, and people actually thought she could win. She didn't, but uh, it's, it's a very impressive performance of a 21-year-old playing a 24-year-old as a you know, personal assistant of George Clooney, who's just out of his mind as like the dude of aircraft travel. So I saw that, rewatched Fifty Fifty, great Anna Kendrick performances, and but for me, you know, the heart and soul of the movie, both thematically and on screen, but just for me, is Brittany Snow as Chloe, the mother, the one who keeps it all together. She's so pretty and natural beauty, and as I'll talk about, you know, she had major issues being a child model and getting over body issues and, and having to deal with some stuff, and she is just rocking out. You know, Anna Camp as the bitchy controlled leader, uh, controlling leader, is so appealing as an actress. You could just tell she's sweet underneath her insecure veneer, which is why when she gives it up eventually to Becca and decides to have a good time, it totally sells. I won't go on too much longer. I will make a a few quick corrections. I I refer to Aubrey as Audrey uh, occasionally. Um, And, uh, you know, I have my uh, constantly mixing up hims and hers, but you'll pick up on it. I have so much fun with this. There's almost no dead time because it's so fast and there's so much going on. And I'll, you know, end here before the countdown, the relationship between Jesse, played by Skylar Astin, not Tyler Austin, but Skylar Astin, um, and Becca is actually a great Hollywood romance, very understated, which is what makes it powerful, even though it has a corny 
ending, it's not really corny the way it unfolds. It's it's very unique and relatable, as is everything in this movie. And to close, you know, the music and dancing is so fantastic. You don't even care that it's lip syncing because they're lip syncing themselves. And yes, it's heavily produced, but it doesn't matter because it's so soulful in its delivery, uh, culminating in the final live performance, which I'll talk about was really live, and, and which is why the energy at the end of that um, of this movie will never be replicated as much as I love the second Pitch Perfect, directed by Elizabeth Banks, who's the brain trust and came up with this whole idea, directed the second. It's so hilarious. I could watch it forever. But this movie is undeniably minimalist, perfection and so i lead you into the countdown cue up your dvds blu-rays digital files or whatever to zero 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 i'm going to count down from three to one and then say go and when i say go you should hit play immediately and this one lines up perfectly so really try and line this one up because i've watched this through with my podcast a bunch of times as i was editing it and and it's really uh one of my most precise podcasts but also in terms you know i mean i'm not gonna pat myself on the back but I love doing movies like this. I love that I'm changing course a little bit. I am doing a Les Mis podcast, which I recorded many, many months ago and have been waiting for, but I wanted to do PP first. Obviously, in this one, as I'm always saying, have some ambient sound, around 10%. But then when they do the music, you know, boost it up to 20. And I try to leave some breathing space. So, you know, feel free to do what you want with the volume. I was listening to it loud when I did this, way louder than usual. Um, and, and so uh, that's totally cool. Now, with the subtitles, make sure you put on the closed captioning subtitles if you have the option and not the normal subtitles because the closed captioning subtitles happen to have the lyrics for all the songs the normal ones do not and one of the brilliant parts of this movie is the way that it's not just musically but lyrically coming together with the mashups and the story that it tells throughout the movie so cue everything up i will give you a second to do so okay that was a second pause if you need to i'm gonna count down from three to one say go you're gonna hit play and we're gonna have a fucking great time with this fucking great movie so here we go into the countdown three two one go ladies and gentlemen pitch perfect If you're a loyal Bizzlecast listener, you might be wondering why I'm doing a commentary to Pitch Perfect, but if you go way back to episode 7 with my buddy Brooke Hardy, who's an amazing young uh, singer-songwriter up and coming in Philadelphia, um, we geeked out on music in general, but uh, specifically about our uh, not-so-secret love for the Pitch Perfect movies, um, which I actually had only discovered uh, much before I met her. Um, In fact, I saw, as we watched this great opening scene, as... In all great movies, uh, a brilliant opening scene that sets the tone, uh, you know, both musical um, but cinematic, as well as the themes and the humor uh, that we're going to see throughout the movie. And the best movies do that in the first scene. But it's also a a quality establishment um, situation. And you immediately have Elizabeth Banks, brilliant, who they got to direct the second one. We'll get back to the fact that I saw the second before the first. And also the sort of backwards way I came to Anna Kendrick, who I now have like a huge, huge crush on, just in terms of her talent and love watching her. And she they call her a triple threat. 
singing, dancing, acting, but she's also hilarious and beautiful in a very relatable way. She's a, a woman of the people, and this movie absolutely proves that that's the case. Um, she's had a really fascinating career. We'll get back to it. So, okay. So these are the troublemakers who are from the same university as these lovely ladies, the Bellas. Um, and uh, the lead singer... <laughs> Right, so, okay, I'm sorry. I'm going to try to make some commentary. So anyway, so I actually saw Pitch Perfect 2 in the theater. I, I had heard that Pitch Perfect 1 was great. I was sort of turned off by the whole Glee thing, although, you know, I mean, I went to a college with a lot of musicians. It was a musical college. Acapella was such a big deal that I kind of laughed at it, even though I had a lot of good friends who were involved in it. Uh, and it was just a cheesy thing that you know, pretty talented and, and attractive people uh, would get involved with. That was just part of the whole club culture I didn't really get at the time in college. And, uh... <laughs> Sorry, this guy just kills me. Um, bump, bumper. <laughs> They're fixing their boobs. The ladies are always fixing their boobs. And what's great about, uh, about the Bitch Perfect movies, I got so many ideas to juggle here, and the movie moves so quickly. It's unbelievable. There's almost no time to linger. My, my main complaint is I would have added just five minutes of pauses throughout the movie, but I, I totally get why they wanted to, to keep it 140. It is a family movie. They're able to work in some sexual themes, but it's never vulgar. Uh, I mean, there's some disgusting humor, potty humor, like all the vomit stuff that we're about to see coming up with, with poor Audrey. Um, the Bardembellas, here they are. Pre Anna Kendrick, they have no idea what's about to hit them. But um, anyways, so me and Brooke nerded out about it. I had just seen Pitch Perfect 2 not long before, and then immediately went back, watched one, and then when I realized how intricately involved... Um, uh, this fine lady here, Elizabeth Banks, uh, well, she directed the second one, which is what I saw first, but has been a producer on both and very heavily involved and just sing a singer herself and super talented. Y you know, th that, that turned me on big time when I heard Elizabeth Banks was directing the second movie. That might have been the, the thing that set me, uh, set me to the movies as much as anything was Elizabeth Banks directing it because she's such a great talent, uh, comedically, dramatically, just a brilliant, brilliant uh, comedic mind. Um, and that she was directing the second one I thought was, was so cool and she killed it and that's more of a straight comedy and uh, <laughs> every look in this movie is so precious it, it's so on point <laughs> you know they're already making fun of how you know dry and old school and, and outdated this whole thing is and that's the whole point they have to you know it's the it's the Bella's meet the 21st century as represented by oh god the vomit it's so disgusting it's so clearly baked beans this is the one thing that keeps me with it and then of course they have to revisit it later times 10 <laughs> we know exactly where it is it's all over the third row <laughs> oh no boom right to the movie perfect you know so if you if you watched the Bizzlecast commentaries or just listen or listen I should say and or listen to my other my commentaries and podcasts you know I do a ton of nerd stuff and part of that is just nerd culture which I do love has really blossomed in the last year or two and it's very interesting to talk about both in terms of the movie making which has been pretty good overall as well as the larger cultural ramifications. I've also had a lot of philosophy podcasts, some history podcasts. I'm just interviewing my friends who are writers and historians and teachers and you know motivators and, and all sorts of stuff. 
here we have sort of uh you know uh, early 90s you know alternative grunge Eddie Kedrick in 2012 but god bless him we, we got it you know it's fun to see her be uh more Anna Kendricky in the second movie i suppose you know it's, it's sort of more like a a grown woman but she plays the kid here great and you have to remember she was about i think like 25 or 26 uh when this movie was filmed she just hit 30 recently i believe and obviously she's tiny and looks young and so it's an easy sell as a kid but she also has a youthful heart she's been acting since she's a kid she somehow managed to avoid what happens to a lot of young stars models uh (laughs) Um, theatrical stars, you know, models, TV stars, movie stars, etc., singers. Oh, here we go. <laughs> Jesse. I'm so happy they named him Jesse because this entire movie is a giant fantasy of mine, essentially, to have, a- spoiler alert, Anna Kendrick singing to me that she loves me after I just killed it at a performance of my own. Uh, as a musician, I never did acapella. I watch Pitch Perfect now and think, eh, it was a missed opportunity. The problem is at my school, Wesleyan, it's so serious. Everyone that came in was already, you know, the, uh, the captain of their acapella teams at their high school and, you know, could read music fluently. And I can do some of that stuff, but, I, you know, I, I was way too raw, even if I had wanted to join that scene, which I didn't, because there's a weird, you know, fratty, um, uh, you, you know, hazing culture to it that's, uh, <sighs> Well, maybe we'll get back to that. They, they skirt that issue, actually, a lot in this movie. They, the the kind of serious part of Pitch Perfect, and I do think that is saying some stuff about uh, collegiate society and society in general, um, is the relationships within the band and how important it is um, for the band to, 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 to be in tune uh, on all levels with one another. Here's Benji, one of the best parts of the movie. I'm going to be saying that a lot. Everyone kills it in these roles. I've IMD, you know, I've IMDB'd the shit out of these characters. Most of these guys, as you would think, uh, these two in particular are theater guys. They've been in some movies, not a lot, but I mean, you know, Jesse on the left there, well-named, I'll be saying a lot. Um, it's, here's great. I'll get back to the fact that, that uh, uh, Skylar, um, uh, what's-his-face, who plays Jesse, you know, was in Rent, and he's been in all, you know, Hairspray, I think, and a bunch of, you know, he can really sing and dance and do, and do things, but they found theater people who looked normal, who looked, yes, slightly older than their age, but if you're my age at, like, 35, you can barely tell the difference between a 25-year-old and 22-year-old at this point, so it works. And they sell it with their performance, but they just, they all look normal. Like even, um, you know, Brittany Snow, who's just stunning, another child star, child actress, who's had to go through a lot of shit. We'll get back to that. Who's, you know, one of the big three, I guess the big four, if you count, uh, Fat Amy, played um, hilariously by Rebel Wilson. Um, the, her dad, by the way, side note, it's the one thing that feels slightly out of place. I didn't really buy that relationship, and they don't spend enough time selling it. And he's just, he's like a poor man's Brian Cranston. It would have been interesting to get Brian Cranston playing his uh, sitcom self in this role, was something that occurred to me. Right, he's talking about making memories in college, and this, the thing was, I was pumped for college myself. And then loop back to the casting of the movie and, and how these people are, are talented and schooled in all forms of music, dance, theater, film, television, and so forth. Right. And so this is, 
this is sort of the slightly bitchy, self-centered, confused, but still very relatable Anna Kendrick. But yeah, I was pumped for college. I didn't really feel like I, I, I fit in. In uh, high school, I mean, I had friends and I did fine, you know, but I was, you know, a, a liberal Jewish kid in a very uh, rural and sort of waspy area. Now, I had my alternate life in Jewish summer camp, which I mentioned before, and Jewish summer camp is actually extremely similar to what these people's ultimate experience of college is. I sort of got that there, and then with my camp friends for a year, I took a year off before college, which I, you know, was pumped for and lived in Israel. And living in a foreign country, you know, and working and living on your own and then going back to sort of a high school plus in college was a rude awakening to me. And while I established a huge group of really close and awesome friends who are still my closest friends in college, ultimately I was pretty miserable. Um, you know, I, I was like, you know, I felt like I was Jesse, um, crossed with Benji, crossed with Anna Kendrick as Becca. You know, I was like some cross between all of these various characters who are confused in different ways. Um, but I was also old. I mean, I was old for my grade. Then I was off a year. I turned 20 my freshman year. There were 17-year-olds on my hall. This all seemed very juvenile to me. And it is very juvenile, and they make fun of it in the movie, but they're never condescending towards it because they clearly love the material, and that's always the best way to do satire. Um, I don't know if I would call this straight satire. The second one gets a little bit closer. I just noticed the guy lifting dumbbells in the background to the right there. It's hard not to look at the salami uh, tits or whatever that girl has. Okay, so this is the establishment scene. We know that we know that Audrey threw up. It, that's traumatized her. We'll find out later that she had sort of a, a rough upbringing with her dad. Um, and, but w- w- these two had to take over, you know, against the better wishes of the people who recruited them, who were graduating. It's never clear why they don't recruit anyone, and then they have to recruit everybody. That's not how it works in real life. That's fine, um, and that sets up this whole plot. Brilliantly, because you need the Motley crew. So why do you get the Motley crew? Okay, here it is. And they're, ha- and they're having the philosophical argument already. On the right here, a, a Brittany Snow, who plays uh, Chloe, she's, she's a pragmatist. I mean, she's an idealist in terms of being peppy and loving life and loving people and so forth. But she just wants talent. She, she immediately recognizes that, and yes, pause, I am doing a serious commentary, but bitch perfect people, I'm also going to laugh at Rebel Wilson. I suppose she's a controversial character, but she's so clearly the coolest and funniest person in the movie, and that's the whole point, you know? And, and that's why she, she really represents what's amazing about, ultimately about this group of women, young women that come together uh, is her. With Anna Kendrick being, you know, the more traditional Hollywood front, you know, lady, of course. See you on this event, Amy. Right, okay, so Audrey is starting to buy. She's starting to buy a little bit. You know, we do need good singers. Okay, so here, this is all improv. If, if you read anything about this movie. Right here, when she gets on the ground, that she's smiling and, and, and improv in her little mermaid dance. You can hear um, I, I, either Aubrey or Chloe uh, or both of them laughing briefly in the background. I, I think they left that in there on purpose. You know, Brittany Snow, like Chloe, talked about how they would just let you know, during breaks, or they just let the scenes breathe. They let <laughs> these are the deaf Jews. Uh, uh, Becca uh, thinks they're DJs. Immediately, is alienated by the first thing that that attracts her. She's trying to get into something. She only cares about music. 
<laughs> it was me, some aboriginals. It was really Jewish. <laughs> Full on Jew. The thing is, they crushed the Germans so much in the first and especially the second movie. And Elizabeth Banks, although she's very, you know, not Jewish, has spent so much time working with artists like Paul Rudd, Seth Rogen, you know, etc. She gets Jewish humor 100%. I don't know if the writer of, this, of the movies uh, is totes. Okay, and this was great about Britney Snow. She just manages to never be annoying with her valley girl peppiness. And the thing is, Audrey's valley girl peppiness, because the actress is so great, who, by the way, the, the, uh, the actress who played Aubrey uh, is now married to the actor who plays Jesse, I believe. <laughs> Divine. What's his name? Steven Divine? That guy. Oh, my God. Bumper. <laughs> He's a brilliant actor. Apparently, they didn't even know he could sing. Elizabeth Banks saw him on a TV show and thought he was like the perfect leader, you know, douchebag leader of a acapella group. Uh, and it turned out that he, he could carry it too, and they made it work. On purpose. Uh-oh. Uh-oh, you bitch. Ooh. And this is the beginning of the split. This is the beginning of the split. And this is what's great, is that Chloe here, and, and this is what you get with Chloe too, is first of all she has a very i mean she's gorgeous let's be honest <laughs> it's really nice to meet you guys you know chloe can sense that becca has talent immediately and that's totally a conceit in movie making but it sets up the shower scene which is one of the great all team all time scenes later um so so brilliant is that becca has a sixth sense about it and she remains having a sixth sense even though she can't stand up to audrey God, I'm butchering their names. Uh, Brittany's known as Chloe can never stand up uh, to the, you know, nominal leader, uh, Aubrey, played by Anna Camp, who, by the way, is Pam Bleasley's sister during the wedding episode, Niagara, if you're an Office fan. Oh, there's the magic. <laughs> Smell of your weird. Skedaddle. Look at this performance here. <laughs> Let's totally hang out right now. No. Hard pass. <laughs> that thing he does with his face. You know, I don't think they were planning on bringing him back for the second movie, but they worked him in as like the major love interest with uh, Fat Amy in the second movie. Okay, I meant to comment earlier. God, I have so much to talk about. I meant to comment. I mean, look at the way they just... There's no exit. There's like, again, it's like Captain America, the Winter Soldier. I'm going to make this comparison just in terms of sheer lack of any excess. Like, you almost wanted it to breathe a little bit more, but who cares? Because it makes it that much more rewatchable and addictive because it just flows, 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 flows. This movie never feels slow. And the second movie, for all its fireworks and hilarity, does have some dead spots. And that's why I'll say this is the better overall movie. Again, they approach the second more as a satire comedy in this universe following these characters. This is really telling a, an origin story. I, I mean, this is, again, this is my superhero um, origin story model uh, to a T. But this is one of those rare origin stories that will probably never be top, no matter how hilarious the um, successors, because of just the perfect moment and the perfect cast um, and the perfect crew just delivering pitch perfect. <laughs> I, uh, there's a few reasons why I decided to come back to this movie. Les Mis is one, filed that away. 
Oh, here we go. The beginning of the courtship. This is great. The first time I watched this, I wasn't sure I was totally on board with Jesse, but he really wins you over by the end. And on rewatches, it's so clear that he's the perfect guy for her. I don't know that they have great physical chemistry. Uh, Anna Kendrick, I, I think her, her main flaw is that she is kind of cold, or she gives off that vibe. And that's part of the characters that she plays. She's a little uptight. And so he's totally the fun-loving. He's the dog. She's the cat, you know. He's the fun-loving, you know, Want to embrace everyone, everyone have a good time, let's loosen up, let's relax, let's have fun. And this is why his relationship with Benji, which I want to get back to earlier, is so awesome, is because he approaches both in his mind in the same way. She thinks he's just a dude that's just hitting on her and being a little too up in her grill and a little too aggressive, and she's, you know, thinks she's giving him no signs, but she's already giving him subtle yes signs that he sees immediately and that's why at the end she said he says i'm not angry at you because you yelled at me and he goes no you really have no fucking idea you have no idea why i'm angry at you and then they get together but the reason he's angry is because you know she is giving part of herself to him without realizing it and yes he is leading himself on a little bit and i think if there's one flaw it's that they have to rush through the romance a tiny, tiny bit because there's so much girl stuff to get through in an hour and 40 minutes with all the performances. But that's why you needed a goofy Jewish guy. And I will get to the fact that for some reason, you know, goofy, awkward, but good-looking and charismatic Jewish dudes love acapella. There are so many Jews um, in acapella at Wesleyan and schools across the country. And my camp had, you know... Um, acapella groups, I mean, it's, (laughs) right, here's the memories, yep, and this is why the setup works for me, nope, she's my friend, yeah, even her roommate stabbed her in the back, all right, the radio station, so, you know, they had to have it set up so her and Jesse would be the radio station. Oh, well, I was saying to you before, I'm really going to get to. And uh, just real quick, this is a great setup to give her the one-year deal. You know, really play hard, Becca, this year. You know, really go out there and play. And if you still hate it, then uh, I'll, I'll give up trying to force you to go here. And in that sense, it makes sense that her dad's a professor. Otherwise, it doesn't make a lot of sense. But just in terms of the plot setup, it works. But the way that Jesse immediately embraces Benji, he walks into the room, you know, he's already hitting on Anna Kendrick. He's a kind of good-looking guy, you know, and he sees this guy with the Star Wars doing magic, and you'd think it would be like a long sell of their friendship. Nope. He immediately embraces it, and not only that, does everything possible to get Benji friends and get him in the acapella, and then later help him get laid. I mean, you know, they just immediately are BFF, and ultimately, you know, her recognition of that in the final performance sold completely through looks and no words is what locks in her her love for him oh man here it is i could not believe this two of the most beautiful young women on the planet naked in the shower but look look at britney stowe as chloe here just she's so aggressive and kendrick's acting how most normal people would act but chloe just has a sense that she likes this girl and that she's talented and she wants to be sisters with her so in that way even though becca is ultimately the one that takes over the group and revolutionizes their sound and their whole approach 
Chloe's Chloe's the mother. And yeah, that, that's what it is. That's what it is. Aubrey's the father. Chloe's the mother. And Chloe as the mother, even though she gets bossed around by the father, ultimately is able to keep it all together long enough to get them where they need to go. <laughs> I'm not leaving. Look at her. God, she's so stunning. I'm not normally into redheads. It's something I wanted to talk about. But you look at those huge blue eyes and, and her face and just her whole perkiness. I think she's also around 24, 25, 26 here. And that line, by the way, where she... Oh, we didn't get to it yet. Oh, this is beautiful. Look at this. Look at the way they hold each other's eyes. This... I think they did this one live. Most of them are in the studio. We'll get to that maybe. You probably know that they're lip syncing most of the time, which is exactly what they should have done. Um, I mean, they definitely sang this one live. I'm guessing they maybe studioized it a bit afterwards. Oh, look at Chloe. She's so happy. And then Kendrick immediately looks happy for two seconds. That's what she, so really this movie. Becca look happy for two seconds and then immediately find a reason to cause problems with other people or herself and not be happy. Look at her. Oh, Chloe is so centered. She's so sweet. I just love her. <laughs> you have a lovely voice. Delivered actually not that creepily that's creepy a little bit but it's not his girl he's not creeping on the other girl <laughs> and there's a little bit where she heads with a towel and sub you know sub vocally you could just barely hear Eddie Kedrick say here's McLovin um you could just barely hear Eddie Kedrick say I still have to shower <laughs> not sure McLovin is perfect in this role but I will never ever ever be angry about a Fogel appearance Right, and so th- they set it up like this is more than a high school glee club, but really it's it's not, and that's part of the appeal of acapella in college, is that yes, you can do it more professionally, both in the college and outside the college, but like all of college is just trying to extend childhood longer, which is a big problem in our society. I don't know if I'll go there with Pitch Perfect. Those themes are obvious, and the very high schooly way these all, you know, the boys and the girls deal with each other. <laughs> Uh, Divine is Divide. No doubt about it. Adam Divine is his name. I'm sorry. Uh, Skylar Astin plays Jesse. Ben Platt, Benji. Both of those guys are big Jews. Uh, and, and it was perfect, as I was saying too earlier, that, you know, n- nerdy, awkward Jewish boys. It's their way of letting loose. And those guys actually get a lot of girls. I mean, it's not all Jews, but, you know, I just have a lot of Jewish friends who are involved in this sort of stuff. And, uh, you know, that was the same thing with us at camp. Like, we showed up at camp. We were, like, a bunch of interesting, smart, but kind of nerdy, awkward. And there are all these pretty girls around who were kind of interested in the fact that we were interesting and smart and awkward and, you know, nerdy. Uh, and that was a revelation. And so, I, just like with the movies, I came at my awareness of what was really going behind acapella culture uh, kind of backwards. <laughs> yeah. You gotta love the uh, the failed audition scenes. They handle it well. Actually, they mostly set up characters who do get hired, at least temporarily. A couple get kicked off pretty quickly for sleeping with the uh, the troublemakers. Okay, so there, I had heard 
going into Pitch Perfect 2 that there was some like minor racially questionable things. You know, you have one Asian, you have one black chick, and she ha- she's also the lesbian, and you know, they act very racially, this or that. Okay, so this girl gets hired and immediately kicked out for sleeping with, uh, I think, the Indian guy from Troublemakers. Okay, this girl looks just like Rachel McAdams, Stacy. They don't give her enough to do, but she kills her lines for the most part. God, she looks just like Rachel McAdams. It's unbelievable. I mean, she's she's actually more, I guess, traditionally attractive, uh, but not nearly as charismatic or as good of an actress as Rachel McAdams. <laughs> okay, so those two girls there, the blonde and the brunette, those are the two that are always there that never have speaking lines. I like that they have Jesse kind of break up during this a little bit. I think that was probably improv a lot of these movies were improv. And the thing is, so much of what worked with this first movie was the improvisation. I don't know if they planned it, but with Rebel Wilson, you got to run with it. And you got, like guys like Adam Devine, you got to run with it. Um, and Anna Kendrick can fucking improv the shit out of things, at least with her deliveries and approaches. Uh, and then when Elizabeth Banks took over in the second movie and they were going to go bigger and funnier and, and crazier, it made sense to actually improv more of the movie. And I think in terms of sheer humor, it works great in the second movie. Um, but the balance in this this first one is great. And we see that Benji's a great singer. The girls love him. They sell him that he's good and that they like him. And if he just doesn't say this line right here, Right, that's the line that turns them off. They're already turned off by him, but if he came and acted cool for two seconds, maybe he could have made the team. Doesn't matter, because he gets his glorious moment at the end. And so, you know, the Benji character with the Star Wars and the magic, it's way over the top. And the second movie, he's like so awkward around an 18-year-old who he's in love with, Haley Steinfeld, who's like the new singer. Um, you know, but the actor just handles it so beautifully. And because he gets his moment in the sun and because he's great at it, it sells the whole performance. And and it sells so much in the second movie. I thought he was just sort of weird and creepy when I saw Pitch Perfect 2 and then I went back and saw one. I was like, oh, Benji. I love Benji, just like Jesse. Jesse loves Becca. Okay, so this cup thing right here, anyone who's gone to summer camp has done this exactly. And that's what's brilliant about it. Nope, we're not. We're going to do the summer camp one that people are familiar with, but then we're going to have Anna Kendrick do an amazing self-harmonizing rhythm uh, or a uh, melody, I should say, over the top. Look at this close. Uh, I mean, Chloe is just glowing. She's going to burst into a full smile. Uh, and uh, uh, Anna Campus Aubrey is distrustful and gets more distrustful as this goes on. And this is the split. Again, I love this relationship. These two girls, look at her. She is beaming. <laughs> oh, man. Anna Camp is so funny. Uh, all right. Two of these don't make it. Um, but that relationship really makes it. I mean, that's the thing. In both movies, Anna Kendrick is nominally the lead, but in the, you know... In the first movie, um, the two leaders, uh, Aubrey and Chloe, are you know really the glue characters to the main part of the story, um, outside of Anna Kendrick's sort of development and her love interest and these douchebags. <laughs> Although we learn that these guys are not douchebags, that their leader is Adam Devine's a giant douchebag. I think they say classic punt. I don't know if that meant as a 
Oh, he really thought Benji was going to be there. So here's how they deal with the hazing. It's really way, way, way worse or just grosser and or just weirder. I, I don't even want to go into the, some of the stuff. I'm not going to say I know stories because I know guys who've done it themselves and did it to other people. It's especially weird when it's boys and boys. I don't know about girls and girls so much. The girls and boys ones, for obvious reasons, are toned down. But the all-boy acapella choirs tend to be very weird and... You know, I'm just going to be real here. And this is going to address the whole racial, you know, dealing with homosexuality, weirdly in the movies, or race. It's all very self-aware. And the thing is, all of the white girls, the main white girls, are also playing parodies of different kinds of white girls. Even Anna Kendrick's character, you know. Yes, it's the classic, why can't we have two black characters? Why can't we have two, you know, Latina or Asian characters? But who cares? Point being... There are actually way fewer gay guys um, in uh, acapella groups, as, as maybe you'd think uh, was the case, um, based on, you know, on just stereotypes. Um, uh, my, I have a couple very close friends who are in like, the main you know, guys. Like, they're the equivalent of the, uh, the treble. Uh, <laughs> they bring that back right in the second movie. A lot of carryovers. They really know their material. They keep track of everything funny and everything endearing about these characters, and they just keep buying goodwill. Okay, so the fact that he is already talking about kids with her, I th- that was a big test for her. And I think he thought the fact that she wasn't weirded out and she is being flirty here, and yeah, she could have immediately been like, ew, why are you talking about kids? And she didn't. Because she knows he's right at some level, even though she thinks he's just drunk and being silly, which he is. Oh, this is great. Yeah, there's a, there's a slight lesbianic, or not, it's not that she's Chloe slightly lesbian, because she loves her men, the gin, she, her ginger juice, as she calls it. <laughs> Come on, baby bubble. Yeah. Yep. Nice. Bumper and Donald. <laughs> These guys are great. And Donald, you know, again. A guy you think is just like, okay, we're going to throw an Indian guy in. Nope. He has some great comedic moments throughout the movie and then absolutely kills the performance at the end. Takes it to a whole new level when the, when the troubles are the good guys. When it's good guys versus good guys. Another great part of this movie. It's not, it's not good, good guy, bad guy in the end. Everyone's in it together. All right, right. Here's the beginning of the lesbianic. You know, whether lesbian women like, you know, women that men traditionally like. <laughs> Jiggle cheese make good choices <laughs> you know some of these lines are anna kendrick lines and not becca lines but that's totally fine and that's what makes anna kendrick great is that she can play so many characters but bring so much of herself into it okay so i didn't get to earlier so um aubrey there uh played by uh, anna camp um or maybe it was britney snow talks about how and here's the party uh talks about how they would just let uh, Rebel Wilson as Fat Amy just go on for like 20 minutes at a time, uh, maybe between takes or whatever, and they just kept the camera rolling, and she was just cracking them up, and they just ended up keeping so much of it, and her, you know, solo Im- improvisational performance, you know, panty dropper yourself. <laughs> I love it. He just called her a disgusting monster, and now he's saying we should kiss. You know, he, he up until mid second movie, he acts disgusted by her a little bit, but he's totally smitten. It was great. You know, they even make the big, the big douchebag you know, ultimately lovable because of his love of her. But her improvisational, just not just ability, but presence. Here we go. This is the this is the uh, the Leo on the Titanic. 
Yeah. I think that's a touch though. King of the world. She's laughing. See, that was important. Little things. Oh, there's Aubrey making out with her guy. It out. Here's a sad scene with Benji setting up later on. Um, he always toes the line of being like too pathetic. Uh, you know, hopefully if you're a good hearted person, you would be with him anyways, but they, I think managed to sell it even to people who, you know, hate or claim to hate, you know, borderline creepy or just weird, uh, characters. Uh, that actor just has a great lovable charisma about him and Chloe just loves everybody. And so it, it's not that she's physically attracted to women. In fact, one of the great running gags in the, in the second, um, Right here's dad and mom, uh, and the second movie is that was the, the, the bizarrely like beautiful but weird androgynous lead singer of the German uh, a cappella group. You know, he's on paper the the perfect specimen, uh, not my kind of girl. Anna Kendrick is just constantly attracted to her and despises her, but every time she tries to insult her, ends up complimenting her. Your sweat smells like cinnamon. God, she's in my head. <laughs> All right, here's the here's the second one getting kicked out. This scene sets up everything. They've already kicked out one. Now she's going to kick out another. They could have had to just be one. Nope. And this is going to set up the exchange at the end of this scene where um where uh where Becca you know threatens Aubrey back and says, "You need yeah, go ahead, kick me out. At this point, you need me more than I need you." And she's right. And she's right. And uh thus uh, when Becca ultimately apologizes in this exact way later in the movie by dragging the chair, setting up that as well. I mean, the, the amount of callbacks and call forwards is so staggering. This script is just airtight. And I think part of the reason they do like the puke stuff, just like the way over the top stuff, is just to relieve some of the... Just Oh, here, here, here it is. Teasing, teasing more puke. Uh, it's just to relieve some of the... Uh, the minimalist perfection of the script and the way they they cut and edit the movie. <laughs> uh, so right, so they've already kicked out two. We're learning that there's lots of different personalities. <laughs> oh right, they didn't know about it. I, that's great. Like, would they have auditioned if they had known about it? Uh, <laughs> Two hours, seven days a week. Cardio. <laughs> and this is the beginning of the uh, the Becca um, uh, Fat Amy. Uh, I don't like calling her Fat Amy, but she calls that, her, you know, she calls her, herself that and wants other people to call her that, or so she says. So, you know, the beginning of the second movie, when they're seniors and been doing this for, for four years, Amy and... Uh, and Beck are best friends, and they set up perfectly. They're exactly the two poles needed to counterbalance the two other poles, if you can, four poles of of, uh, of Anna Camp here as uh, Aubrey and uh, <laughs> and Chloe. And so, part of what they establish right away is that the physical ticks and and quirky personality bits of all the characters and they play on them and so when they're kind of fixing and instructing when mom and dad are fixing and instructing all the new students here uh <laughs> vertical walking horizontal walking you know it's it, 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 it it's honing in on all those little idiosyncrasies like right here 
Right here. here here's Stacy being way too over-sexualized, rubbing her body, grabbing her tits, you know, rubbing her crotch, moving her head around, being way too... And this is, you know, that's, that's classic acapella uh, 101, <laughs> from what I can understand, is do not over-emote. If you're going to be, you know, melodramatic, save it for the right moments of the performance. Try and keep it pretty low-key and, and let your singing do the talking. And they're setting up little dance moves. I mean, this is the thing. I've seen this movie a ton of times just because I liked it and then I loved it. And then I just, uh, I think this is a work of cinematic genius. Uh, and if you're with me this far, uh, at least you can agree that th- th- this is an extremely tight and, uh, and well done movie for the masses that doesn't insult them, but speaks to them. And you see some of these little quirky moves later, like, I think we missed it before with Stacy, where she kicks up her leg and they're telling her not to do it. And then in the final performance, she kicks up her leg in the exact same way. And they, they incorporate the songs that they sing throughout it. Now, I, I heard Anna Kendrick uh, interviewed, I don't know if it was recently, but I heard it recently with Stephen Colbert. And, you know, Pitch Perfect 2 is technically the highest grossing musical ever. But, you know, Anna Kendrick pointed out it's not a traditional musical because they're aware that they're singing within the story. The songs aren't part of, or all, like Les Mis, is like pretty much all the narrative is singing. All the dialogue is singing. Here, they're, you know, apparently self-aware, but that's what's so brilliant, is music is as intrinsic to their lives, and singing is as intrinsic to their lives as, you know, the characters of Les Mis in, in singing their own lives. And you lose yourself in the the media and the format and the presentation because you're still getting those dramatic beats and what makes great musicals great and this is the Les Mis connection which I'll get back to later right here's the here's the I don't like you I don't like you you need me more than I need you speech um a toner (laughs) is that you can actually get emotional dramatic beats out of movies like this that you can't out of movies without music and dancing She's constantly accusing her of hooking up with Jesse, which she's not. It's interesting to think whether that is... So, you, okay, so you think, you, you think Anna Kendrick's reaction to all this is, I'm going to actually go hit on Jesse. And she does a little bit, just to, just to shove it in Aubrey's face. But it really, it actually <laughs> informs her annoyance at Jesse always being around, not realizing that they're in the same crowd. So, of course, he's always going to be around. Becca's just very unself-aware. And Anna Kendrick, who's a very, very, very self-aware person, and most of her characters are overly self-aware. And that's what makes this performance so brilliant from her, is she's very, very unself-aware of what she says and what she does, um, you know, and that her perception of reality isn't everyone's perception of reality. Now, she's very, very good at picking up on other people <laughs> disliking their performance. And that, that comes into play uh, multiple times later, especially with the big, you know, conflict where she interrupts the, the, the millionth Ace of Base performance to try and do her, her mashup, which, you know... In, in typical Hollywood fashion, causes the main conflict, but is already putting you on the road to how things um, will get resolved. Oh, here we go, the nodes. <laughs> she's she's so dramatic, but it, it's just so appealing. I have nodes. <laughs> I found out this morning. What are nodes? Yeah. 
I, I knew about this. But I mean, I, I worked in the music business. Anyone who's dealt, I mean, we all know people probably have dealt with this, but especially if you've dealt with singers, this is a major, major problem because sometimes really good singers don't actually know how to sing. And so it puts undue stress on their vocal cords and other parts of their body. And they're not using their diaphragm and they're not, you know, shaping their, their, their windpipe in a certain way. Right. This is the, this is the survivor's thing. I'm a survivor. Oh, it's so sad. You just want to hug her. Now, I won't talk too much about the second movie, but because Anna Camp plays just a support role in the second movie, and Chloe's still there as like a seventh-year senior or whatever, uh, they have to make her a little bit more in the Anna Camp role. Oh, here, the courtship continues. I know so many guys like this. I think that's part of why I, I wasn't immediately attracted to, to this character, because I just know this guy, and I genuinely like this guy, actually. And I think that's what, I'm just jealous of him. That's what I realized after a few watching this movie. I'm like, I am so jealous of this guy because he totally gets Anna Kedrick and he totally deserves to get her. He he plays it at about as right as he can. And it's because it's coming from the heart and that's what she ultimately realizes as encaps- encapsulated by The Breakfast Club. <laughs> The fact that she's entertained by this little goofiness is just proof that she likes him. You know, if she was not interested in this guy, she would just be like, dude, get the fuck away from me. <laughs> yeah, they. this is great. You needed this sexual tension here. and But the jealousy from Jesse is never irrational. It's totally rational. This this confused young woman in, in this guy is not only hot, but can do things for her. I mean, you think she's going to sleep with him, and that's what's going to set it off with Jesse, and that's what this movie resists so well, is stuff like that. They didn't need it. They just needed a little bit of sexual tension. Right, and now he's he's stepping up the game because he's worried about this other guy, and he's worried he has a window, and he's got to, he's got to, you know. <laughs> I totally know this guy. I went to camp with this guy. I went to camp with like a thousand of this guy. God bless him. T- Tyler Aston, also a big New York Jew. It comes naturally. It's what's funny, you know, uh, Anna Kendrick is like Welsh, Scottish, Irish from like the Northeast, you know, very waspy in her, her heritage. And she kind of falls into some of those stereotypes in terms of being a little uptight and cold. Um, I think that she plays that. Oh, right here, right there. There's the cute sweet coming out. Oh, she hates movies. Right. When she first said this, again, this movie moves so fast and you're paying attention to so many things, like how cute Anna Kendrick is, you realize that she's saying she hates movies. But it, it's worse than hating movies. She's just apathetic towards them. But she can't see the musical connection, and he helps see, helps her see that. Right. And this is the... This is the self-referential. The guy gets the girl. We're going to mention it casually. We already know it's going to happen. And so why not make it a... It's not a joke, but a gag. Okay, so Vader... <laughs> so he, he loves Star Wars, which is great. Little things. They didn't, they, he, he didn't have to have a conversation with Benji saying, I love Star Wars. He mentions this is one of the best scored movies ever. A movication. Yeah. He, he, he's overly aggressive, but she's not really pushing him away. It's an interesting dynamic. It's endlessly fascinating. Oh, here's the riff off. I don't have to explain too much what's going on here. But yeah, just in terms of their relationship and where it is at this point, I think she's just not sure. And I think that 
he's so confident and he's so much more emotionally uh, stable and, and mature and developed than she is, you know, coming from a better family life and just being there. Yeah, exactly. The fake, the fake uh, competition, you know, she, she's not at his level of self-confidence and development. And I think that is the factor that he just does not take into account. And I've made this mistake plenty of times with women who are nowhere near as cool um, as Anna Kendrick, but who are as, um, who were, you know, similarly emotionally stunted, you know, who seems so like womanly and complicated uh, on one side, but, you know, beneath it, there's just layers and layers of insecurity and, and, uh, just never, never kind of growing up emotionally. I mean, you still see this with people of all ages, you know? It just Jesse just innately has that. He innately connects to people like Chloe. He innately embraces people, loves people, and uh, I've gotten burned on that, you know, with with girls. Ultimately, Anna Kendrick, you know, comes to the right conclusion from her perspective and from his perspective, but it, that doesn't always happen. I think people could, men and women, I think, could relate to that dynamic. <laughs> All right here's the stoters. <laughs> so this doesn't exist there are no i'm sorry as far as i know there aren't these like apathetic you know barely talented you know stoners who dabble in acapella and who are welcome to acapella events they would be laughed laughed off the uh the concrete here, whatever it is, at least by my friends, as I was saying, they're in the Wesleyan Cardinals who go back like 130 years. So they do classical music, but they also do, you know, show tunes and they do pop stuff. They do everything. Um, and they were the weirdest of all because they were the smartest and most interesting guys. But when those guys got together, Oh my God, stories I could and will not tell you. <laughs> right. What's great is Stacy's never discouraging that hard. Um, What's her name? Hitting on her. There's so many names in this movie. Um, Esther Dean, who plays Cynthia. So they tease this relationship, which is great. I don't think this ever happens. But he's definitely a player. He already got someone kicked out. Yeah, and Kemp knows that he's responsible for getting that other girl kicked out. Yeah, a little, little bit. Yep, she comes right back out to him. And that's the thing. Is Stacy the smartest or more, you know, most interesting or, or deep character? Nope. But she just, you know, they slot her into these little, like, she has a rational confidence. That's what's great about this Motley crew. The only thing holding them back is Anna Camp as, as Aubrey. And Aubrey eventually realizes it. Okay, so here he's basically declaring his love. She blows a kiss. She's still not creeped out by him. Yeah, he interprets, oh man, that look on her face, yeah, right, this is her declaration of love, she doesn't even realize it, this is, so there is a direct line from this exchange right here to the final scene of the movie, where they're singing nominally to an audience, but really to each other, look how they film this, and uh, smiling, trying to stay confident, keep going, he says, yeah, no one's stopping her. You know, and they lose on the technicality, and that's the thing. So Aubrey's the one holding them back. If Aubrey wasn't in the picture, 
these guys would already be rocketing towards the top. But the problem is, or not the problem, the whole idea is they need to go through her like boot camp, which is why they reprise an actual boot camp in the second movie uh, with with uh, Anna Camp's guest appearance. Um, <laughs> yeah. Oh God, Amy's always giving the finger to everybody. Um. Look, yeah, this is it. She's starting to feel it. She's starting to feel him. She's liking the competition. This is the first time she feels happy. She's smiling. She likes performing with the you know, the audience. You got the people sitting up top, you know, watching it. That's the way it is in real life. They act like it's only acapella people, but they're always... I mean, some of this stuff is behind closed doors, but most of it they like to have audiences for, uh, in my experience. So it's cool that they added you know, people sitting up there. We out. Okay, so... There's a direct line between me doing this right now and getting into really into uh, like the top five or six lip sync battle uh, episodes of which Anna Kendrick is part of one of the greatest, if not one of the top two or three greatest with John Krasinski. And it's super self-referential because lip sync battle really wouldn't be a thing if not for Pitch Perfect and I guess Glee and stuff like that. But, you know, she's considered the queen and, uh, she takes down John Krasinski, who does everything possible to be condescending towards her, to, to wear skirts and dance around like Tina Turner. And he even makes a joke about her little cup thing earlier, uh, you know, the, 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 the cup song that she does for her, her audition. Right. This is the turning point right here. Bookmark that. Right. I, Anna Kendrick's saying this is great. They're spontaneous. Right. And this is, so it's interesting to think if... Um, if Aubrey was not in the picture right now, you know, w- would um, would Anna Kendrick uh, as Becca be, um, you know, emotionally stable enough to, you know, step immediately into the leadership role? She has to go through the boot camp, as I was getting to before. And so that that's obviously part of the journey, and it's called a uh, counterfactual question. <laughs> it's a hypothetical, you know. Um, she has to be humbled by both this situation and her situation with the girls. Right, so he, he very quickly s- says, now I'm the one who's talking, right? Did they just cut that too quick? Was he already planning on saying it? She knew he was planning it. You know, he's... A, it's like a little obvious what he's going to do. I think she thinks he is kind of predictable without realizing that he's being unpredictable. This is right here. That look. Okay. So I said there's a direct line between their, you know, going at each other. She got super competitive with him. He was blowing her kisses and she jumped in. That was meaning the love story. And this is the beginning of the end before the new beginning. Because he thinks this is... Um, well, they play this great, actually. He's not, he only moves for the kiss when he sees her staring at him. Okay, there's Judd Nelson, Breakfast Club, amazing movie, gotta rewatch it. He's giving her a play-by-play. He knows she's not into it, and so he's trying to, you know, do color commentary to make it interesting. How does she know who Judd Nelson is? Who knows? <laughs> like, all this under it. <laughs> Black Coffee Top with his morning dumps. She's smiling. She loves it. She goes, I'm an idiot, weirdo. You should let other people tell you they're funny. Yeah, fun facts. And this is it. And you, they, we see this image just twice. We see it here, 
and an awkward pause, and then we see her crying watching it later. She's watching him be so into it, and he thinks that she's thinking, I want to hook up, and she's not. She's considering it, and she's really thinking, oh my god, this guy is kind of weird. There's a, you know... It's a weird charisma about him, and I'm kind of attracted to him, but I don't know what I'm doing because I'm emotionally stunted, and that's where the um, that's where the uh, you know, I, I guess the the sort of uh, not on the same wavelength element is. He's ready to to, to fast track this, not because he's not patient; he is patient, but she shows not only lack of progress in, in just their emotional connection, but you know. Digression, great digressions. <laughs> Seem to have the early bumps of the road. And the nodes, the nodes. Um, sorry, I'm just, I'm just watching this. We're sort of uh, mid movie. Talking a lot about the relationship, just because it, it is very subtle, and you know, Skylar Aston, you know, acts on screen like he's a theater guy, and I like that. You know, it's a little bit of a caricature, but it's a lovable caricature, and it's multi-dimensional. And uh, you know, I guess the key is he runs ahead of himself a little bit, um, and then you know she continues to react increasingly negatively because of it and that's why ultimately he does take her back so easily you could you could say right here here, here the conflict continues it builds the tension between these two build 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 build, build. some old girl with her mad lip beats because she's never been to the competition have i made myself clear right she says i'm only gonna solo if i get to uh, do it <laughs> And this is key, actually, that Amy gets the first new solo. Uh, and that's probably why they had to have Chloe have a vocal problem, so that they needed to get the new girl soloing. I mean, it's all taken care of. I love... And this is... I, I have to think this is a callback to, to uh, Up in the Air uh, with George Clooney, which, as of this recording, I have queued up and have almost watched a million times. I, I'm going to watch very soon. I heard it's great. I know she's great in it. I may have seen part of it on television, uh, but the whole flight attendant thing, it might, be, it might be a coincidence. But, you know, one of the things I got to get to here is that, you know, Anna Kendrick was already a huge star from childhood. She she was nominated for a Tony when she was like 12 years old. She's nominated for an Oscar when she was 24. Somehow she's managed to handle herself so well. I have to think it's familial, uh, familiarly based with these actresses when they have a good support system of friends and family. <laughs> right here, the sock puppet singing "fuck you." Um, but is that Anna Kendrick has become completely because of this movie becoming such a sensation? But also her other performances on, on late night talk shows and you know lip sync battle doing doing this stuff and being an awesome dancer and singer and performer, you know like Anna Kendrick is like a thing you know it's like you know the Anna Kendrick show and that's why when she's able to play amazing parts like in Fifty Fifty which is one of my favorite movies under the radar I've already rented to rewatch um, on Amazon after having rewatched this. 
where she plays an extremely uptight, I mean, way more uptight than this character, um, psychologist for Joseph Gordon-Levitt, who's going through um, chemotherapy, having cancer at a very young age, and she's his therapist, but she's more of a wreck than he is, and that's part of why they come together, ultimately. That performance from her was so good. She's so uncomfortable in her own skin, and and the transformation she goes through... um, and you just contrast it to this, and there are similarities in, in being uncomfortable in their in their own skin. Um, but the difference is in fifty fifty, she's hyper self aware, as opposed to here, where she lacks self awareness in a lot of areas. Now she's self conscious, which is different than being self aware. Self aware has more to do with other people. Self conscious has more to do with yourself. I think I am both self aware and self conscious. Uh, I, I I almost take other people into account too much at times at my own expense. Um, I'm a lover, not a fighter. <laughs> what can I say? There's Stacy with the bra. I love that, that the, the recurring, uh, sort of musical plot theme is Ace of Base. The sign, which when it came out in the early nineties, not only did we love in sixth grade, <laughs> it played all the time. It's such a quirky song, but so well-produced and performed. It's so addictive. And, you know, sort of the the, the, the candy, uh, you know, cotton candy aspect of, of the song is, is that no matter how great this performance is in terms of its choreography, it's still going to be Ace of Bass. And that they rely on that. And that Aubrey is obsessed with it. They never say it. Oh God, Brittany Snow. That's the thing. <laughs> this is my problem. Is I, I go from woman to woman, and I never lose them along the way. You know, Scarlett Johansson and Zoe Saldana, and you know, now Anna Kendrick. Uh, you know, they're all still my my faves. Uh, but I keep getting new faves, and, and Brittany Snow, and in this movie in particular, but in both the movies, is is so just just natural beauty. And then you read that she was a child model from like the age of three. You know, and was fucked in the head as, you know, all three-year-old models who go on to stardom become seemingly, other than Anna Kendrick, and she had bulimia and anorexia and major weight problems. She had to get therapy and leave acting for a while. And I meant to see the shower scene earlier. Anna Kendrick so stunned at you know Chloe just loving being naked around her. And Chloe's like, uh, uh, you know, looks at her body and goes, I'm very confident about all that. <laughs> and, and Kendrick, you know, with a half cock smile says, yeah, you should be. I, I'm sure that was written into the script before Brittany Snow was cast, but there had to have been a great moment of her. I think t- this is maybe five, six, seven years after she dealt with the problems. Um, so she was well back into acting and looking great and being awesome and feeling good about herself. And just, just, that's the thing. I read it and I'm like, that makes sense because she's so beautiful. She's a young actress, but the way she carries herself, she's so comfortable in her own skin. It, it's amazing how these young actresses in particular who can get through it, the, not the Lindsay Lohans, the Britney Snows can get through it, rise above it and end up, you know, despite major body issues, which, you know, of course, is often the most uh, more teasing. 
Uh oh. <laughs> I love Jesse's reaction to to Etta Cap. He's equally horrified by by the look on her face. And what's what's great about Anna Camp as Aubrey, having known her first as Pam Beasley's smiley, flirty, cute sister, is when she puts on the smile, she's so cute and pretty and attractive. And so, she, you know, those big front teeth of hers, she has to, like, be forcing a grimace the whole movie. And goddamn, she nails it. But when she, that's why you buy her conversion at the end when she decides to say, fuck it, I'm giving it over to Becca and we're going to have a good time. This is an amazing performance, by the way. Um just from a technical standpoint. And this sets up the Indian dude as central. This sets up that they've already recognized that the frush, Jesse, is going to be a central part of this whole thing as the heir apparent already because of his talent. Yeah, there's Anna Kendrick. She's always eyeing them. You know, something I never considered is whether their dominance, you know, even though she claims to hate Aubrey's rule of not sleeping with them, even though she claims not to want to sleep with Jesse, it's so complicated and doesn't care about the competition, but it's possible their their, their effortless domination, yep, she's smiling, uh, their effortless domination of the Bellas, um, these guys, the, the troublemakers, effortless domination of the... Uh, of the Bellas factors in subconsciously or at some level with her being annoyed by Jesse because he's seemingly in a much better situation than she is in terms of the stability of the group and how far they've progressed and they're better and they're more fun. Uh, but they flip it on his head at the end where they face a crisis and Jesse jumps in and, uh, they the thing is they never mention any of these things explicitly there's never oh wow look jesse took over his group at the very end just like you know becca took over her group at the very end nope it just happens just effortlessly there's benji the big number one fan and so you know it just makes sense they make the story make sense none of it's forced this is an, a great scene joe latruglio god bless him on the right he has cameos in probably half of the most hilarious movies of the last 20 years. I mean, Wet Hot American Summer, Super Bad. I, this movie, there's so he's he's so <laughs> You know where this is going even before the the trouble bakers walk out. Um actually this this whole scene coming up, the fight and what comes out of it and what's explained about it really makes no sense. But I think that's the point is it's just Anna Kendrick acting irrationally and being angry and blaming everything on everyone else. <laughs> oh, dude, get a life. <laughs> Sonic boom. <laughs> Performing our oral magic. <laughs> right. These guys are specifically looking for a fight. This is great. These are old, angry, bitter, you know, ex acapella dudes. I wouldn't fight him. <laughs> yeah, tough guy. Tough guy. Adam Devine. Right, he calls him Gandhi. Oh, oh, he's talking to the Indian guy, Gandhi. I, I I never got that. That's so obvious, and that's why, right, Jesse gets angry. He's trying to protect his friends. Okay, so, so this guy's trying to start a fight with Jesse. I'm always trying to figure out this scene. Okay, now Be- Becca goes there, and now we got backup coming in the form of of uh, Rebel Wilson. Yeah, she's just mad. 
She claims to be protecting her friends later and then yells at Jesse. Seemed like she was protecting Jesse. I think that's, you know, I think that's what makes the next scene so arresting in the jail is you think this is a big step for her that she, yes, is angry at the, her whole situation and is just confused and frustrated. But, uh, right. And she stands there and she's the one that gets arrested. Um, but, uh, and Joel and Trujillo, thumbs up, and they bring it back in the second one. Right here. So, she's thrilled to see him. I think, at some level, she was thinks she was defending him. Thanks for bailing me out. And then, called the dad. Right, so why did he call the dad? Could he, could he not afford to bail her out? Right, because he's acting like the boyfriend by calling the dad. But he's a professor, so he would have her number... I was just trying to help you. Right. Yep. Got it. Right. He's the only one who's there. Why wouldn't her friends come? Yeah. This, this, again, the dad stuff never adds up. It's not the actor's fault. That was sort of like a... uh, That was probably the one forced conflict. Because of the performance and just the heartbreaking look on Jesse's face, thinking that he he is helping her. And that's the thing. She doesn't want his charity. This is a classic case of he is emotionally helping her as a friend. Yes, he wants to be more, but he's also emotionally helping her as a friend. It's interesting to think if she did move towards him but just wanted to be friends, what would have happened? You wouldn't have a movie. You know, but, you know, people who need help don't want help. As someone who's been there, I, I can tell where she's coming from, you know. It's usually has to deal with just issues that you haven't dealt with, and and she deals with those issues eventually. Um, but he is being a little paternalistic to her. He's being a little daddy to her. She already has a daddy that she doesn't like. Yeah, I think that that's what's going on there. It's amazing to get so much commentary out of this movie, honestly. I mean... <laughs> Queer balls. <laughs> Yeah, she wants to change the face of acapella. This is the beginning. This is the beginning. We're we're a little over an hour in. We're maybe like 60, 65% in. And you think the tension's going to blow up here. But what's interesting about the way they frame um, Anna Kendrick's character, uh, Becca, is that she actually doesn't blow up, really, really blow up at... at, at uh, at Aubrey until, uh, you know, until she actually actively tries to intervene. And that's why ultimately her apology about she shouldn't have, you know, stepped on the toes and made the song way cooler without asking. She's wrong about that from a practical standpoint, but the whole idea is she has to drink humble juice. Movies like this where your lead characters you like are relatable, but are very flawed and are pushing away people around her that she shouldn't be. Um, or at least doing so for questionable reasons, you need them to drink humble juice. And drink it she does, just like she's drinking this uh, tall drink of water. What's great about Anna Kendrick, if you hear her, you know, in movies, or just she uses old-fashioned expressions, which is her tiny little young-looking self. She talks about her, her heart as the old ticker. Right now he's starting to rub it in and trying to make her feel bad. She still does not understand why he's upset. 
And honestly, it's not clear that she's wrong. I mean, she's wrong in the sense of the, uh, this this upcoming season, great. Um, she's wrong in the sense of, uh, you know, they are great for each other. And she is leading him on, you know, and letting her, her own confusion sort of overflow onto him. You know, as she tries to figure out herself at the expense of his feelings. But, you know, she's right in that she shouldn't have to be forced into a relationship, and he seems to be a little, uh, you know, a little overbearing. Okay, we'll stop with the relationship stuff for now. I don't know how I got to be uh, Dr. Drew here or whatever, <laughs> talking about the relationship. I just, uh, yeah, I'm on like a little Anna Kendrick spell, and I'm fascinated by her her performances and the, the role she takes. Yeah, and the kiss thing. There, there's vomit, there's, you know, and little things, like, they cover her in burrito, she cleans herself up, but then, nope, they leave a disgusting piece behind her ear to keep her rage, you know, uh, flowing to to her her love-hate uh, relationship with, uh, with Bumper. Where did they come up with the name Bumper? Oh, that's brilliant. Th- this script was definitely written strongly before they cast, which makes the ease at which these characters come in, you know, actors come into these characters and add in spontaneity and naturalness and improvisation. Oh God, it's so gross. It fuels my hate fire. Look at Anna Kendrick's response. I like this girl. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Anna camp taking it all in Aubrey. Look at this. Everyone's saying stuff, but not saying anything. I shot myself when I saw this. I love this song. This is like one of the few totally popcorny songs I love. I just think it's a it's it's a brilliant pop anthem, and uh, Miley Cyrus. I, I think it's a great voice and is talented, but to have it come out like this with cute, sweet, beautiful, adorable, lovable Chloe being the one who's having you know node problems and insecurities, but she's belting it out. She doesn't care. I like how this is the one song that she won't sing. Anna Kendrick, that is. Oh, great look from Stacy there. Look at them. They're so innocent. They so clearly love themselves. And, and obviously when they decide to do a second one, which was not a foregone conclusion, th- this made way more money after the fact. It became a you know viral sensation. DVDs, Blu-rays, digital files, soundtracks, and so forth. They make a ton on the soundtracks. I've paid for the soundtracks. <laughs> She could be forgiven for having forgot to put gas in after getting hit by a flying Mexican food. <laughs> I believe she says. Pretty cool, actually. I mean, Rebel Wilson is just a brilliant comedic talent. There's no, there's no two ways about it. You know, I don't think any one of her. I mean, Melissa McCarthy is big, but she's not fat the way that you know that Rebel Wilson openly plays herself as fat. And in Bridesmaids, is the same. I mean, she that's her thing. You just don't see flabby women. But because she has such a pretty face, and she's such just an appealing person in the way she carries herself, um, and you know she knows when to sort of cover herself up a little bit more, when to just say, fuck it, I, I, you know, I'm just going to wear anything. <laughs> yeah. She's falling in love with him, you know, and when they, why'd your bumpers dump her? So yeah, you see... Becca smiling back there. I mean, there. Uh, this is one of the things I wanted to highlight. Every little glance 
because there's so much time with music and and because with music you, you need to you need to expand it by using physical movement and and smiles and the way you look and so in fact the sort of funny acapella looks that you get when people sing you know, you know that's part of the fun but also part of the hilarity of the whole thing uh they work into the non acapella parts of the story i mean this kid here so this is like the worst ever uh you know uh what do you call it uh macguffin i believe is the term <laughs> You know, Deus Ex Machida, whatever you want to call it. That, that how easily they find out this kid's a high school kid. I actually had an idea about a better way to do it. Whatever. I mean, he throws Anna Kendrick a look later when he's dancing. I think right here. Is he gonna do it? He's dancing. All right. Up oh, there it is. A little look. And Kendrick, what? Do you just look at me, high school kid? <laughs> you know. This addresses uh, the lack of minorities in general. Um, to be fair, having gone to a school that purported to be diverse, but you know, but population was still mostly white. Most of the acapella was white. Uh, there may have been some black acapella groups. There were so many. There were definitely people of color in acapella groups, but it was mostly white. And so I think that's representative in some ways. Um, and for the, you know... For the cheater to be a black kid from probably a poor high school. <laughs> so here's here's where they take a step forward. And it's all because of... I hate calling her Fat Amy. It's all because of Fat Amy. And again, the Ace of Base. I couldn't believe this when I saw... Uh, yeah... Oh no, this is only the second time, I forgot. They they do it a third time. When they do it the third time, and that's when... So when they do the third time coming up, I couldn't believe they were actually doing it a third time, just from a movie-making standpoint. But it's all building Becca's frustration, right? She's being made fun of by a high school kid. Oh no, here it is. This is the third time, right. Sorry, we're way ahead from what I thought I was, right? We already saw... We missed... Uh, or I missed... Fat Amy's great performance. This is where Becca loses it. They're doing the third time. That's what they do it three times. Because you lose it with her. You're going, please someone save Aubrey from herself. Because Chloe, Chloe sure is not as hell going to stand up to her. Unclear where the set goes after that. I love that they, they, the, they pick up, you know, as dumb as these two are, they pick up on the conflict, you know, the cattiness uh, on, the, uh, on the stage. <laughs> oh god elizabeth banks she is just is she not the most appealing person ever just all around right this is the big this is it okay here we go let's watch this let's see how the choreography goes on this Right, so you expect the group to stand up for her. Chloe's still not standing up for her. Even Amy's scared. That's the thing. They're all so scared of Aubrey. And that's a very girl thing. You know, the alpha girl is in some ways more dominant than the alpha male in some social groups. Right. 
this is <laughs> and this is what's so brilliant. This is where you think there's going to be a positive step forward for Becca, but this sets him over the top. Yeah, of course you're here right now. Yeah, it's it's daddy issues, I think. He yep, time to bring the pain. <laughs> they got him on the mic now, Benji. He's getting closer. When I first saw Becca Wade, I'm going, oh no, please tell me Jesse's not running after him. Nope, Benji is. We never see. This is the only interaction coming up between Benji and um, and Becca. But when she smiles at the end, when he gets to perform, you can tell that she knew about him because Jesse talks a lot. I'm sure he talked about his lovable but weird roommate who he's trying to help out and trying to get in the group and so forth. Right there's the bag. I guess she thought maybe I have you know I could have other sons, and so why would anyone suspect? And Benji's the one to, to to put it all in motion. And the karma comes back to him. I mean, that's the thing about this movie. You know, this is the classic, you know, Hollywood good karma movie. You know, if you're a good person and you work hard, and you know, eventually everything will come back to you. And that's not really how life works, but that's why we watch movies like this. Uh, she wishes her a nice spring break. So what I like about this is she immediately does not feel bad about yelling at Jesse somewhat irrationally. I mean, you could understand he's right there. He's about to perform. He hears you're hooking up with Jesse. He's not trying to swoop in and be the savior that she thinks he's trying to be. He's just stating the obvious, which is trust me. We're not hooking up. I wish we were, but we're not. But the way Anna Kendrick plays this, there's not some, I mean, she has her crying moment, but it's at the perfect time watching The Breakfast Club. Who who didn't cry watching that movie at some point? So here she is alone. Everyone's on spring break. She finally has some time to think. Did a break. Do her music. This is her, her meditation. It's her Zen thing. Right, stock shot of him being sad with mom and dad over for spring break. He plays it great. He's a subtle actor, honestly. Like, You know, some of these guys, they just, because he's a theater guy, he has to intentionally underact at times. Because between the theater thing and the acapella thing, I mean, these people are so overexpressive in, in both the real life and how they act. They just have a ridiculous amount of energy in the way their face moves. And Right, that's the thing. She sees the CD and the fact that it's a soundtrack. She says, okay, I'm going to watch this thing. I couldn't believe this when I saw this. I'm like, they're going to play this for a laugh. But she is just staring, at probably at nothing. Maybe they're having her watch it, or at least listen to it. But there it is. Right, and they hold on it. you got to hold on it. She's crying. But because it's the breakfast club, and it's all hitting her now at once, look at this display of emotion. She's crying. She can't believe she's crying at a movie. <laughs> She laughs at herself when that causes more crying. Oh, I fucked up. All right, this is just plot service here. Um, <laughs> it's great that they're, they're the announcers, but they're also you know, the, the, the judges and the coordinators. And it's, you know, that, what are you going to do? It's Elizabeth Banks and, uh, oh God, he's so famous and has played this role before a million times. What the hell is his name? John Michael Higgins, excuse me. Brilliant, brilliant duo. 
<laughs> and she's doing uh what do they call this is this pilates i don't know i've only done yoga i've never done any of the other stuff oh poor chloe i just love chloe i don't know if i could ever work with a girl like this but look at that she's so in it that's the thing these these actresses are just all bringing up one another's games i think the thing is they were just so geeked to be able to make this movie with like a relatively decent production budget for what it is <laughs> all in bitches i love it you know they were just so geeked that it was like okay well everything else now is gravy because we're gonna be get to look sexy and cool and awesome you know lip syncing ourselves singing other people's songs and dance around and it's gonna be great Oh, here it is. Um, and so when they were just allowed to improv, and, and, and uh, it's not method acting, but it's method acting in the sense of, I think, whether these girls are all friends in real life or not, during the production of this, they all acted, I mean, and felt like they were, you know, sisters. In fact, their chemistry is so good. I've commented about this in some movies before. Their chemistry is so good that the fact that 95% of the movie is them finding their chemistry on screen, it's almost like they have to work at disliking each other because they so clearly like each other. That's just a compliment to the casting and the cast. Right, I called you, left a bunch of messages, he ignores them. I don't know. My problem is I probably would have taken one of those calls and been weak. He did the right thing. He He has to... Not teach her a lesson. Yeah, but she really embarrassed him. Embarrassed him in front of her people and his people. I, 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 you know. Right. He says that in a slightly condescending way, but he's right. You better figure it out because I'm done with whatever this is. So the question is, did she ever see this as anything? You know, she was just being a girl. That's the thing. You know, and ultimately that's what this movie's about. It's girls becoming women and, and boys becoming men. And that's what the, there's that brilliant line. <laughs> women. Yeah. Little moments like that to establish that they're still hanging out and they're both being weird in their own ways. You know, he's watching the movie with popcorn by himself. Uh, Benji's in the trunk sawing himself in half <laughs> in the second movie. He, he, his his come online to Haley Seinfeld is uh you know you're, I just want to saw you in half. <laughs> I I almost want to do the second movie just because it's so hilarious, and uh, Haley Steinfeld as the new inductee is brilliant. Wait, well, let's let's be here. This is it. This is it. This is it. You could really watch. I got awkward. It's hard to believe, but from now until when the final show is done and they're kissing is like 20 minutes at most. And the temptation here from a filmmaker standpoint would be to linger longer. But I think they just decided they weren't going to have this guy be more than just a sounding board for her. Yeah, he just doesn't seem like her dad. But she's doing a good job. It was just easier, right? It's also really lonely. That's a great delivery by him. And that's it. That's right. She's lonely. She's not letting them in. It's not that's not all her fault. She's not letting Jesse in, but that's not all her fault. It's 
you know, this is the be the better person thing. She apologizes for things that, e- that she doesn't even need to apologize for. Oh, this is great. <laughs> John Mayer, personally, through an assistant. There's definitely, like, Ed Helms, uh, Andy uh, Ed Helms from The Office going on here, for sure. Andy Bernard. I wonder if he was channeling that a little bit. Yeah, he just ditches them. Yeah. <laughs> the fact that they're all in a tiny hot tub together is this is completely realistic for male acapella groups. They love being naked with each other. I'm not going to name my friends. If you're listening to this, I love you, and I love that you did this kind of stuff, but it's it's pretty funny. And again, most of them are heterosexual, and there were some gays, and no one really cared. That's what was great. It was totally neutral sexuality. When the guys are around each other, I kind of respect it. <clears throat> Just a group of guys singing a bunch of cover songs. R- right. He says, he doesn't say, we won't let you say. He says, they won't let you say. He doesn't care if Benji's weird. He loves it. Got it. That, yeah. They had to time that perfectly. Uh, got a little shaky cam going on. Th- that's what you do when, during tense moments. You get the camera moving. You get it shaking around. You know, disorient yourself. That's what Joss Whedon does with the Avengers when the, you know, the Avengers are fighting. This is, right, this is the Avengers of acapella. This is the superhero story. This is it. I mean, this is, this is like the exact story structure as the first Avengers movie, if you look at it. Uh-oh, should have listened to Becca. Usually redheads don't wear red or orange, but goddamn, is she stunning in that. I almost feel bad for... Um, for uh, for Aubrey. Uh-oh, here it comes. I'm going to have to take the earphones out for this. This is so gross. Oh, no. <laughs> oh. You know, in a camp, she has to be so bitchy and so controlling. And, you know, but she she never comes off as dislikable in terms of her performance. And that's so hard to do to beat the controlling bitch that everyone hates and has to listen to. And that's why I was saying, because she's actually really sweet in real life, I think, you know, which, which she transitions to, okay, I'm just going to have fun and give control over to Becca. She, it just transitions so perfectly. It doesn't feel forced because she is sweet deep down. She just, you know, she needed to grow emotionally too, just like Becca. I, I guess that's really what's going on. Actually. It, it's Chloe's between Becca and, uh, Aubrey, you know, Chloe has to grow a tiny bit just in terms of her, you know, reigning in her idealism about people always doing the right thing. Um, <laughs> wait, here comes the shot. Here comes the shot. Oh, the butt. <laughs> oh, Cynthia's still trying to cop a feel at Stacy. <laughs> Stacy gets mad, but never really confronts her about it. All right, here it is. Right, so she says, "I'm sorry," and this is leadership. This is this is what's great, right? And this is this is so she's Robert Downey Jr. in the Avengers. Ride with me here, people. Okay, Captain America is uh, would be Chloe. I guess there's some mix of Chloe and uh, and Aubrey because they butt heads, but. You know, this is Robert Downey Jr. saying, "Okay, well, 
you know, I will crawl on a wire to, to help my fellow soldier. You know, she really means those words. This is a great performance, Manny Kendrick. You, you can't teach this. You can't teach this. Look at, look at, and the sound design, look at the way she stops almost as a joke. She's smiling. That's the thing. They have trouble not smiling occasionally because they're cracking each other up. And they leave the vomit. That's what I was going to say. I just feel bad. You know, the Anna Camp, she got vomit on her. She's, but it turns here. Mm-hmm. Right, they explain this all to, to father issues. And this is where they connect. And this is where they connect. And this is where the daddy issues come in in terms of her reaction to Jesse being so overbearing. I don't really think I ever made the daddy connection with Jesse. Um, <laughs> it's really crazy. It's all improv. I mean, when the other, when Rebel is, is improv and the other girls are just improving back, trying to hold their own. And not crack up. Right, so leadership step one. So this, right, she goes from being Tony Stark to Captain America. And Black Sex. <laughs> we know. <laughs> right, so leadership number one, uh, rule one, eat humble pie even beyond your, your actual faults. Be truly humble, you know. Even if you may have been right about some things and wrong about others, just say, I'm sorry. Rule two, get everyone together, get on the level, get people to be more honest, start trusting each other. This is what Steve Rogers is always trying to do, you know, with the Avengers team. Gambling problem. Oh, this is the, this is the, the uh, reveal that, that uh, Jessica, I think her name is on the right there. <laughs> I still love you. One of her, I think, two lines in the movie, baby. And what's funny is they make them look kind of, you know, you know, just normal, not particularly pretty looking. But then when they're dressed up for the performance, they look great. So I think that they just are, they decided they need two extra singers. It's going to be a gag, but we actually need them. So we're going to put them in the background and kind of make them look just average. But then we'll let them shine in the performances, which I'm sure they were happy to do. Yep, this is it. This is true wisdom. Right. That's what she's saying to them. It's like, the reason I'm so chill, guys, as fat as I am, is because I'm just honest with myself and everyone else. <laughs> My name's Fat Patricia. <laughs> I, I think that was an improv. They're gonna, they start smiling. I love it. I, I like in these movies when they, they do crack a little bit, just because it shows how much that they're loving the process. That's pretty cool. Right, that's, that's the most girly-ish thing she's said and done this entire movie. She stopped being, oh, I'm so much better and cooler and more alternative than you. Oh, this is great. <laughs> I made the courageous decision to remove my notes. <laughs> I'm courageous. Again, this role could be so annoying, but she's so relatable. She's a drama queen, but it's it's never selfish, you know. She's broken up about not being able to sing, but she's more broken up about not being able to help her friends, right? So mom finally convinced dad after all of this nonsense. Dad's handing over the reins to uh, the student or the kid. I don't know how these relationships work. All right, here we go. That's it. That's it. I mean, this is just a straight ride from here till the end. So, um, 
it's hard to put into words the extent to which this final sort of 15 to 20 minutes starting here, musically, how brilliant it is. Now, I don't think that the people behind the movie developed the idea for the first time ever in 2012 to do mashups um, in acapella. In fact, I'm pretty sure I heard mashups in acapella in college. The idea is really the extent that they go to work in so many musical themes but also lyrically making everything line up and and sound like it, it is just one giant song and not just singing over uh you know basically things that make just sorry i i from here on out i just can't stop watching britney's now i apologize she's so pretty um yeah they go this is it boom they're gonna dominate the world for the next three years <laughs> uh but Right, that it's not just musically working, but that thematically it's there. So the Bruno Mars song that was wisely chosen by Aubrey, they work back into uh, the final performance. And then it's hard to keep track of as much as you listen and sing to it because it's so seamless. Becca's singing... The song that she sang earlier, maybe with uh, with Chloe, or do they work that in later in the shower scene? Titanium. Yeah, you can tell they're real singers what they're doing with their mouths there. They're really trying to sell it, but it's not just selling it to us. It's selling it to themselves. They had to make it look, you know, and feel realistic to themselves while they were performing um, in the movie. (laughs) That's that's another great MacGuffin about how they can finally have a baritone singer. You know, again, it's poking fun. You know, early on, you know, the the horribly misogynistic and dumb uh, John Smith... Uh, the announcer points out, you know, part of the reason female acapella groups haven't broken the, the glass ceiling, so to speak. Oh, oh my God, Elizabeth Banks doing the, the blow the blowjob thing. It just kills me every time. <laughs> That's her way of, of warming up her, her mouth. <laughs> um, but uh, it's true. I mean, it, it, there's a lot of sexism involved. It's hard to argue that female pop stars don't do better than male pop stars. I mean, there are way more successful, you know, top of the line female singing pop stars than male pop stars. Um, but when it comes to acapella, it, it, you know, when you talk about people of four or five vocal, um, uh, four or five octave vocal ranges in, in all kinds of music, if you look at the list of the people with of the famous singers and musicians who have the highest vocal range, the top like 20 to 25, uh, everyone from, you know, Chris Cornell to Jim Morrison to, um, you know, those kind of guys. Uh, it's almost all men before you start hitting some ladies, even singers like Aretha Franklin is super soulful and can belt up as, uh, Chloe says earlier, she, she has a high belt. Uh, but you know, it's, it's just the way the, the vocal cords are constructed 
And so it is a little bit of a disadvantage, um, depending on what your criteria is. Okay, here it is. I you, you I you can and I have watched just this. I mean, this is like watching you know the Battle of New York and the Avengers, you know, just for shits and giggles. And what's great is as awesome as the girls are at the end. This performance is all time great. This actually has twice as many hits, I think, on YouTube as uh, the girls' performance. I think I saw this had twenty million, and the girls had ten million. N- n- not surprising, you know, because. You know, I mean, ladies love guys who are good at acapella, you know. I mean, they love Anna Kendrick, but if they're really going to have their own guilty pleasure, they're going to watch these guys. And I hate to admit it, watching these guys is a guilty pleasure for me, too. Yeah, Aston really kills it here. And he dances totally like a Jewish theater guy. And he doesn't overdo it. His... His little hand movements and the way they dance around. This is a great move right here. Man, I've resisted singing the whole time. Lights in a big city. <laughs> She's getting hot. Becca's getting hot. Becca's getting hot, and Amy can tell. Uh, this is this is the best. This is the best. The whole movie's worth it just for this. You're going. Is he going to screw up? Look at look at Jesse's face. He's so happy. I love they frame this. Look at Jesse. Tr- follow Jesse. Follow, follow Skylar Austin. He, he's so thrilled about his friend. He's completely blocked out. Becca, Becca is, that's, that's what I was saying earlier. That look right there. She's going, oh my God. I kind of love this guy and he loves this other guy and I love him for loving this other guy and helping his boy be happy. He really is just trying to make me happy. Oh, boom. This guy's amazing. I can't pronounce his name. He, there's something about Indians and, um, and Arabs uh, when it comes to hip-hop. They can really, they can really do it. Uh, I don't know what it is, if it's just color of skin. Maybe it's just white people. Who, you know, it's like Eminem and then everybody else. But really throughout the, you know, the Latino world and the Asian world, and obviously the African world, when it comes to hip-hop, this is great. Turning everyone to gold. The Midas Touch. I, I listened to the original song. I didn't know the song was a thing. doesn't have that many hits. That's a couple million. Uh, this is a way better version. I mean, like, times ten. You want a full song of this. Boom. So they definitely performed this live. I didn't do a ton of research. I read Wikipedia and everything. But they definitely got a crowd, and they warmed them up with some other acapella groups, is my guess. And then this was their first performance. And they had to film this numerous times. And so when you get insert shots of them dancing, you don't see the crowd. That was filmed afterwards or later. But they definitely did like one or two real performances. Because you'll see the way the lights are on them. And this is a girl's all loving each other. That's the thing. I'm kind of. I have kind of a feminine side. Um, not in terms of like you know, like I love women, as you could obviously tell. But I have a soft side to be. You know, I, I like this stuff. I like this stuff. That's why part of the world I love this mo- movie. But it's really because it's a brilliant movie and has awesome music and dancing into it. That's it, and it's hilarious. So okay, so if you watch this performance, okay, so this is an insert shot. Not clear. They make the scene like Jesse's really there. And that's a t- testament to Aston's reaction when she points at him later. Okay, so here is real crowd. This isn't like a green screen. 
and you can see them really start smiling when they get into it later. And when Anna Kendrick gets her intro, people go crazy, and she has a big smile. Again, brilliant. You're going, uh-oh, this is another Ace of Base situation. They're starting slow, and they should start fast. But this becomes their, their hallmark. And they get away from that in the second movie, and they have to come back to it. Mm. All-American, Brittany Snow, God bless. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's uh, it's such a great release you're waiting the entire movie for them to get their shit together and be awesome and they finally do it for like three and a half minutes it's such a tease but that's what makes it so addictive because each part is so is so fun and, and poignant and and funny and weird okay right here puts his head down yeah okay so look at anna kendrick this is definitely the first performance look at her face in the in the you got, you got cameras going off yeah. You can just tell if you've seen enough live shows, this is totally live. I mean, they're, they're lip syncing their own stuff, but they're getting the crowd riled up. I mean, these are big stars in the big movie. Who, who wouldn't be pumped to see this? And this is what NSYNC does. <laughs> you know, they're not singing. It was a great reveal that he recognized the song, but he's still, you're going, okay, is this just him playing with her? her his heart more? Oh, uh, he, he's such an optimist. He really wants to believe. Up. Uh, and here it is. Yeah. Yep. He nods a little tiny yes. He knows it's coming. They do it a third time to really sell it. It's great. He's about to start crying. God, this is a great scene. Yeah, it's easy to see why teenage girls will love this <laughs> this movie. I love this shit. I love when they sell corny but relatable love stories of movies. It's not even that corny. It just ends corny. Oh yeah, you got you got Chloe doing the bass. She's laughing. She can't sing that deep. <laughs> this is really awesome. Uh, this is actually better, uh, you know, than the final. Uh, the, uh, you know, their final performance in the second movie, not in terms of fireworks, obviously. And the original song idea for the second movie was great. But there's so much, you know, emotional buildup to this scene. There's so much going on here. I mean, she's singing to Jesse. I mean, she specifically looked at him and pointed at him and said, you know, don't forget about me. Look my way. But if you listen to all the lyrics, I mean, it's all about love. And all these people have various relationships. This is great. (laughs) I'm so glad they added this. This makes the performance. This is like the Indian guy rapping. You need this. You need a little just throw down. Oh, yeah, and they keep revisiting Don't Forget About Me. Oh, it's awesome. And I love that song, too. Love Breakfast Club. Don't love the Don't You Forget About Me song. I love the Don't... I love that song. <laughs> Look at this. Oh, they're killing it. You can totally tell they're doing this live. The energy level is ridiculous. It's completely consistent. This is all one take. I, and you not know how hard this is. This is so hard. It doesn't matter that they're limp-syncing. Yeah, <laughs> playing the guitar and the leg. <laughs> they had to nail it. That's the thing. The whole rest of the movie, well done, ladies. And if just look at the way they smile at the crowd at that very minute when they stop. I, I have a screenshot I took. Look at them here, breathing hard. They definitely did this. This was like an American Idol-esque performance in front of a crowd. I don't know how big the actual crowd was. Look at them. They're so happy. You know, they probably... 
I'm thinking if I'm the director, I save this for the end. It's often stuff is out of order, but this really feels like them celebrating nailing this movie as well as, you know, nailing the internal storyline dynamics between them. (laughs) Elizabeth Banks, one of the, the, the part of the main brain trust behind this. And again, you want like a longer, uh, you know, denouement, you know, you want a, like a longer post-resolution here. Yeah, I told you, endings are the best part. And they could get away with that line because they set up the line earlier, uh, you know, the self-referentialness of it. I would have maybe had him play a little shyer. I would still be a little skeptical of her at this point, given her past behavior, but, uh, you know. I think I'm just jealous. I'm just, I'm standing there watching him make out with Anna Kendrick in like the exact situation. I would love to do that with a girl. That's amazing. But he seems like a good guy. So. <laughs> yeah, Fogel, as he does in all movies, Fogel gets better as the movie goes on. Belly roll. <laughs> and they just go straight to the credits here after the tease. Of course, they don't show Chloe. I, once they decided to. Okay. Here we go. All right, nerds. <laughs> She's already the queen, queen bay. Uh, you know, they don't have uh, Brittany Snow there as Chloe. They must have known that they were going to bring back at least Chloe, if not um, Chloe and, and Aubrey in the second movie. They wisely brought back Chloe as a central character. She's the glue. She's the mom. You needed her. And as I was sort of hinting at earlier, um, by the way, amazing movie. What I was hinting at earlier is that... Uh, they need in the second movie slightly older more seasoned uh chloe to have a little bit of aubrey-ishness to her because you know aubrey's not there to lay the smackdown and and that's not really becca's personality and so she needs to be a little bit of disciplinarian but because of her personality it's it's never nearly as grating or or chaos form in fact chloe's still not the cause of any of the problems in the second movie she she's ultimately the cause of them getting back together she's the heart and soul that's what's great about this movie you know anna kendrick and her her love story with um with uh skylar astin as jesse is seemingly the center of the story, but it's really uh, about you know Chloe and Aubrey and and uh, and you know, and Rebel Wilson and the other girls. You know, it feels like everyone gets their time to shine, but no one gets enough time. Just in terms of like you wanting more, there he is with John Michael Higgins and the amazing Elizabeth Banks. Thank you, thank you. Here it is. <laughs> This is funny to me on so many levels. They they showed one of the improvs just to give you a sense of of what was going on on set with Rebel Wilson just coming up with this shit all over the place. And they make a a referential joke about being a ginger, you know, being punishment enough in the second movie. As a redhead, you know, I, I have definitely taken my fair share of wallops from the time I was a kid, even till now. Comments about my complexion or my hair color. Really, people are just jealous, and that's what I've come to uh, appreciate about being a redhead. But it's especially true when you're Britney Snow, who I think is a blonde in real life, 
but that's why the red hair looks so real. Usually red hair looks fake when it's dyed because it's on brown hair, but when you dye blonde hair, anything, it, you know, it's going to look pretty real, and it works perfectly with their complexion. So the fact that she's somehow cursed for being a ginger, even though she's, sorry, Anna Kendrick, I love you, the most beautiful of all of them, and, you know, all of these young women just stepping up and being confident to just be ridiculous and put themselves out there. I mean, this movie could have totally bombed and it didn't make a ton in the box office. I think it made slightly over $100 million, but the budget was not very big. And, you know, with sales of uh, a video and audio after the fact, they were like, okay, we'll make the second movie. And then they made a kill. They beat Mad Max, thank God. Maybe I'll get to that in the intro about this coming out and beating Mad Max in the same year. Why I'm so in support of that, even though you think me being a dark sci-fi nerd. So yeah, I mean, that movie just flies by. Um, I really focus a lot of the relationship stuff. I, I, I think it was because, you know, when I do these commentaries, I, I come to, how do I say this? I end up honing in on some stuff that I don't expect to. And the, the more familiar I am with the movie, uh, actually, it happens more frequently when that's the case. I mean, when I've seen the movie a lot, I end up, you know, honing in on things I, I didn't expect. I didn't expect them because I thought I knew everything. Like the whole connection with Jesse being like a second father to her and and that being such a huge turnoff in her mind because of her dad issues, like that kind of stuff. I tried to talk about the girls. I love their relationship. You, you know, you're going to have to make it about the main four with uh, with Amy and Becca and uh, Chloe and Aubrey and everyone else is going to be kind of a support, but they all get their time to shine. This is definitely better and more rewatchable than the second one, but having watched the second one first, maybe this colors it. There are sheer moments of true comedic genius and hilarity, mostly involving... Oh, it's Key. Keegan-Michael Key. I always think it's Peel from Key and Peel. Yeah, Keegan-Michael Key... Um, as a P. Diddy type, you know, maniacally egotistical, but still brilliant music producer that Becca's trying to get in the good graces with is so funny. And out of no, well, I guess it's not out of nowhere. I mean, she's been, she's another child actress who's been nominated for shit, but Haley Steinfeld, born in 1996, who was the one new major character that was like, you know, set and has continued to set, I think. I've already announced Pit Perfect 3 for next year, if you can believe it, with her being the central character along with Anna Kendrick, I assume, uh, depending on what Anna Kendrick wants to do. But Haley Steinfeld, who is somehow Jewish, she looks you know, ambiguously ethnic and gorgeous, is very, very young. She must have been, uh, oh, I don't know, 18, 17, 18 when they made Pitch Perfect 2, which would have put her like a good 10 years younger than the other girls, even though she's supposed to be three years younger than them. Uh, she was playing more her age, but it's just absolutely hysterical in her own cute, awkward, quirkiness. Uh, and the Germans are, are very funny in the second one, but this is a classic. This is a classic. I mean, what are you going to say? I mean, this this spawned all sorts of spinoffs. You know, um, maybe I'll mention in the intro about uh, the lip sync battle, which uh, is very uneven, but when you get great matchups with lip sync battle uh, on Spike, but really just watch it online on YouTube with uh, John Krasinski versus Eddie Kendrick. When you have the Tatums, a Channing and his wife, who's a dancer and actress, Jenna, go at each other, is awesome. Definitely worth checking out. Anthony Mackie versus Joseph Gordon Levitt, only because Joseph Gordon Levitt does Rhythm Nation in it, it, perfect Janet Jackson imitation out of nowhere. 
Um, there's a few good ones. The very first one between The Rock, uh, Dwayne Johnson, and, and Jimmy Fallon, who helped popularize. I mean, there's a direct line between all these people. I'll, I'll throw some of this in the intro. Is that if you look at sort of the NBC team of, you know, Stephen Merchant and, and Krasinski and the people behind the office and the NBC stuff and Jimmy Fallon and Fallon popularized it, but Krasinski came up with the idea, but the idea could have never happened without Pitch Perfect and people like Anna Kendrick. There's really a shared community of young actors and actresses in their late 20s and early 30s who like each other and who are friends and, you know, who like to sing and dance and be goofy and do stuff. Uh, it's definitely part of the social media generation, but I'm not convinced that it's superficial. You know, they really embrace it. And people like Anne Hathaway, who have been hated on, you know, despite her brilliant work as also a triple threat dancer, singer, uh, actor, who, and, and like Anna Kendrick can be hilarious as well as super intense, uh, despite her haters, she's decided to go out in public and do these shows and have fun doing them and, and kick ass being great, you know, at singing and rapping and dancing and stuff and, and has won her back many supporters. I think, you know, they, it is superficial in that sense. You know, we should just judge them on their, you know, their on-screen performances, but that media, let's be honest, has, is beyond blended into um, reality TV and you know all these various simulations of reality. I'll stop here. <laughs> this is actually a great podcast uh, discussion for later. I will wrap up by saying I love this movie. I love the cast. I love the way it was done. I thought the sequel was as good as it could be and made up for a couple weaknesses by just being hysterical and uh, really well visually uh, executed. And uh, awesome. <laughs> Bit of love.